I can't be sure of how much of what he told you, so in the chance you're in the dark about some of this, let me shed some light. That whore your boy hangs around with, a pimp, is an associate of mine. I mean, just pimping and other affairs. He works for me in a courier capacity. Well, apparently, a dirty little whore found out I'm going to do some business because your son, the cowboy, and his flame, came in the room blazing and didn't stop till they were pretty sure everybody was dead. What are you talking about? Talking about a massacre. They snatched my narcotics. Hightailed it out of there. Would have got away with it, but your son, fuckhead that he is, left his driver's license in a dead guy's hand. <laughs> you know, I don't believe you. That's of minor importance. What is of major fucking importance is that I believe you. Where did they go? On their honeymoon. Everybody, welcome back to another sweet episode of Citizen Frame. Uh, we have talked the Scotty Brothers, the Scott Brothers, the Scott Free Production Brothers a few times in this. Ridley with Alien and Tony Scott with Top Gun. Uh, now, we talked about Tony a little bit with Top during Top Gun or maybe it was Alien, I'm not sure. I'm a more of a fan of Tony Scott than I am Ridley Scott. And the reason I say that, not to take away from Ridley, because Ridley's, you know, fucking great at what he does. But I think because I grew up watching more of Tony Scott's stuff, and he was more commercial, where Ridley was more artsy-fartsy. Tony Scott's visual style is is mesmerizing. I talk about Tony like this because, like I said, he's, he's probably in, he's in my top five of all-time directors. For um, And when Michael Bay... Copies a lot of what Tony Scott does. Yeah, you can see that. Yep, you can definitely slow motions and quick cuts, stuff like that. But he, he, he his, his story is so well structured. And the reason that most of his stuff's well structured is because he always keeps with the same team. Uh, works with Hans Zimmer a lot. Uh, matter of fact, he's probably the one who got Hans Zimmer pretty, pretty much on the map, especially with the True Romance score, which is brilliant. You had, he works with uh, editors. Uh, Chris uh, Levitan and Christian Wagner quite a bit. So he, he he knows the team he works with consistently. Jerry Bruckheimer, the biggest biggest producer of the time, um, worked with him a lot. And he just, just uh, he, and he always has, always, even from his first big outing, which is The Hunger, always has a great cast behind him. And the reason I go all the way to scores soundtracks, editing, and impressive cast, this mirrors a lot of what our golden boy does, Quentin Tarantino. Always has those pieces in place. Always uses the same team. Keep, he always keeps he always, he always uh, keeps it in-house. If it's not broken, don't fix it. And this leads us to what we're going about to talk about today, True Romance. Almost like a pass the baton from Tony Scott to Tarantino. This will be a fun one because I'm a. I remember seeing this in the theater and fucking loving it, loving the soundtrack even more. It's one of the first soundtracks that came out with actually a director's cut. <laughs> By far, underrated gem at the time, and now it's found obviously its footing. It is a cult classic. Yeah, I went through a phase when um, back in the early '90s, whenever Tarantino 
first basically came to the forefront you know with the likes of reservoir dogs true romance natural born killers pulp fiction obviously as well but uh, around that time i would have been in my late teens early 20s and i went through uh, a phase where i was completely obsessed with all things tarantino i even owned all the soundtracks on cassette um you know, I would have bought, went out and bought all the soundtracks. I absolutely watched the films repeatedly. Not in the theatre. Again, as has been a bit of a pattern with my earlier life, it would have been more on video. And back then, it, you, you know, it was quite cheap to, you know, buy. Basically, you know, videos, home videos. Uh, I don't mean video recorders, I mean the actual films. Um, and I owned all the films on video. I then brainwashed my mates and parties to, um, into being Tarantino fans. Yeah, this was just um, this is just one of several Tarantinos I I absolutely loved back then. Now I do want to piggyback, and I knew you were going to bring up Tarantino quite a bit in this. Mm-hmm. Now I want people to understand this is not a Tarantino movie. Yes, it's a script. It's a script. Now Tony Scott told this. This is his film. Now, the reason we bring up Tarantino is because it it's incredible the how Tony Scott honored uh Roger Avery also co wrote this, um his uh, producing buddy, Tarantino's yes. producing buddy. And how Tony Scott pretty much if you watch Tony Scott films, even the the Bubblegum ones, Belvios Cop Two and Days of Thunder, their dialogue and the way he, he he runs his films besides the MTV kind of cut feel he has with Tarantino doesn't have that. He's a, he's very mirror image to Tarantino style. So anyone to take the reins of a Tarantino script, Tony Scott was a perfect choice because this guy knows how to handle a Tarantino script. Now there's some arguments where Tarantino never great thing about Tarantino. He never took account. He said, no, this is Tony Scott's film. Yes. He did, but he didn't like the ending. And I actually agree with Tarantino. We'll get to it when we, uh, the original ending of the film. But um, at the end of the day, it's it's Tony Scott's baby. You know, it's I can say it's Quentin Tarantino's vision, Tony Scott's baby with two masterful directors. It, for, for me, it, it very much feels um, like a Quentin Tarantino film, but at the it same does. time... You know, especially with all the dialogue and all the craziness and the sort of um, over-the-top violence and stuff. But at the same time, there is a certain, you know, Tony Scott certainly put his stamp on it as well. Exactly. And that's what that's what works. Yes. Tarantino, I mean, Tarantino's a nobody at this point. So Tony Scott could have done what he wanted. But you can clearly tell he, he pretty much honored what Tarantino wanted well, most of Oliver it. Stone did what he wanted with Tarantino's script for Natural Born Killers. Well, he, okay, he, we'll leave my point. Yeah. You're making my yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, I'll your point. Two massive, two A-list directors saw this guy's vision and said, you know what, I'm not changing shit besides a couple of stuff. And I guarantee you, the ending that changed was because of the producers, not because of Tony Scott. Yeah, I, I know Tarantino with Natural Born Killers hated the Oliver Stone version of it, but I, I believe, as far as I'm aware, he, apart from the ending, he is a fan of this true romance. Yeah, I know he's that, he is. And uh, I hated Natural Born Killers. That was a train wreck of a film. But that's a different podcast. All right, Tony Scott, uh, God rest his soul. We talked about him. He took his own life yeah. when he found when he found out he was terminal. Um, I miss him every day. I am a fanboy, and I just every every summer. When's the new Tony Scott coming out? When's the new Tony Scott film? And uh, it sucks, absolutely sucks. And uh, 
kudos to Joseph Kosinski who took over to direct Top Gun 2. It was supposed to be Tony Scott, and uh, but he certainly did Tony Scott some justice. He did. Um, with Top Gun Maverick. But we got the man himself, Tony Scott. He did Hunger, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Crimson Tide, Deja Vu, Unstoppable, Man on Fire, The Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout is my favorite Tony Scott film. Unfucking canny. It is so good. I remember years ago. It, Bruce Willis? Yeah. Yes, Bruce and Damien Wayans. Yeah, guys, you want to watch a fucking good film, just watch Last Boy Scout. But then it led up to True Romance. True Romance was uh, came out in 93, box office disaster. But amazing, amazing the footing this movie found on DVD and so forth because the most of the cast, including Brad Pitt, skyrocketed from this film. James Gandolfini, everybody. Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel Jackson, well, he's in everything, Tarantino. Um, let's just jump into it because I kind of ranted a bit, but I think we made our point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the cool, the cool thing about this, you know, you know, Tar- Tarantino. God, I just, I admire Tarantino so much. Where he, him, and Avery took the money they got from True Romance, and that's what funded Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, because it was a low Reservoir Dogs was released before it. He obviously sold the script. Of True yes. Romance before, you know, making Reservoir Dogs. Yep, he wanted to direct this, and rightfully so. And I understand that. But the studio says we need an A-list for this. We need, and I get the studio, and kudos, the studio made the right choice for, as for a director, that is, Tony Scott. But but at least, it, whether Tarantino got to direct this or not, he at least got to make the one we all know him for, which is Reservoir Dogs. In 1987, Tarantino's very, very first film um, which basically it's basically very home movie esque. I think you can get, um, catch it on YouTube. It's basically an early prototype of um, true romance. It's called My Best Friend's Birthday. Yeah, I heard something like that. Uh, I yeah, it was a couple of minutes long. It's not a long film. I don't yeah, think it's a short film. Long. Like it's not. It's more than a couple of minutes. But yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's dive into it, and we'll talk about it. Uh, what can I say when you have a cast of Kristen Slater, Patricia Garcat, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore, Chris Penn, Bronson Pinchot, Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, Michael Rappaport, Saul Rubinek, and James Gandolfini. Fucking hell. All-star cast. Unreal. And if they weren't stars at the time, they soon became megastars. Yeah, Brad Pitt just found his footing, I think, with Demon Louise at this time. Yes. And the river runs through it, and he fucking steals the movie. I love Floyd. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want a Floyd film. <laughs> what does he say to them? Uh, what are you guys, like a bong? And, and then they the, the, like sort of cock the rifles. He goes, oh. <laughs> and he, and he, when they were leaving to go to the hotel, yeah. he's like, okay, bring back, get some beer yeah. <laughs> and, and some cleaning products. Or else when Gandolfini calls, he, uh, what does it he say? He says, whenever he leaves, he goes, fucking condescend me. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah, it was... And all of his stuff was improv. Was it right? I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. Tony Scott says, I'll just fucking go with yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, oh, I want to talk about the scene. We're just going to talk about scenes. Yeah. Um, and this uh, kind of, and I watched this again through the podcast eyes. And I'm going to say now, uh, Clarence and Alabama are two of the stupidest people on the planet. They're so naive and childlike. No, don't get, don't get me wrong. That's your likability, but they get themselves into situations that that they put themselves into. They get away with it 
Uh, I think it's luck. Oh, oh so totally by luck. But but they're not these. They're they're not a Bonnie and Clyde. I, I like yes. You, it's almost a reverse Bonnie and Clyde. They're not streetways. Yes, exactly. Um, let's talk about the the relationship between these two. Now she was a hooker. She was hired by the comic book guy to you know to kind get of him laid. For Clarence get him laid exactly. Um, and she ends up falling in love with him during that course of the yeah, evening. Yeah, love at first sight type thing. Love it exactly. Um, I don't. I kind of bought it. I'm not into that crap. I think it's stupid. But there's something about, especially Kristen Slater, because there's a line where Kristen Slater tells her, "Oh, you're a hooker," and "Oh, I'm not a hooker. I'm a call girl." There's a difference. Hurry, culture. She's your whore. Yeah, and. Oh, yeah, okay. And he says, because if you don't like Shelly Chiba and blah, 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 these Kung Fu and Elvis, uh, I'm going to be, I'm just going to, I'm going to end it now. I'm going to be very upset. Because it's nice because he, he's, 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 geez, he's a nerd. Yes. He loves comic books. He loves Shelly Chiba, which was completely Tarantino right there. Uh, loves his Kung Fu, loves this and loves that, loves Elvis to death. And how he's trying to find that perfect mate, and she actually is. Yes. Can I just say, oh. you were talking about the, the love of Elvis. Um, I love whenever he's talking to the guy who's reading a magazine about Elvis later on, around the midway mark, uh, before James Galdafini approaches Alabama. Um, and he says, and see those weird ones? Here it was, I've no time for those weird ones. They creep me out. You know, those obsessives. And, but yet he's an obsessive. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, the guy's just sitting there. And he's actually getting into the conversation. Yeah, that's right. Um, now... He decides she's going to go meet. Gary Oldman was told by the jury, by Tony Scott, that, listen, you can play a white guy who thinks he's black. He says, I'm in. <laughs> and he must think it's white boy. <laughs> Gary Oldman, and he's, he, he actually, this is almost mirror image to his character as in Leon. He had, And what I mean by that is he has a tendency to play the most vulgar, vile creatures on the planet, but yet there's a likability yeah. to them, and they they steal the they steal the scene. And on top of that, he completely hams it up, but and sometimes hamminess, depending on who's doing it, can be it can be off putting. But he totally steals the scenes he's in. He's brilliant. Uh yeah. And when he goes to pick up the the get um, Alabama stuff, yes, Clarence, and that whole Clarence, you're not going to get away. They're going to kill you. Yes. We, as an audience, in the background, I talk about soundtrack, which Tarantino uses a lot to tell a story. They're using Nymphomania, I Want Your Body in the background of this whole scene. The great thing about that song is that it builds, it builds, so fast and then it goes to well. this. Well, it is, but it's it's like a heart pumping. Yes. The and then it gets faster and faster, but then when the music hits in, I mean, it really goes on you know, high octane, it fighting kicks in. And the score complements this scene. And then, obviously, and he shoots him in the balls. And he just oh, has at it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, po- poetic justice to get And very that. dark. I was, would say as well about Gary Oldman's performance, very darkly comedic as well. You know what I mean? Well, he's it, basically a white guy play, um, who thinks he's black, or he wants to be yeah, black. And yeah. he's all, you must think it's white boy day. And you know all this here. It's, uh, he's brilliant. And, uh, and, and totally vile character. Totally vile, you know, person. Um, but... You wanted more of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, an unforgettable uh, character. 
um, it reminded me a lot of the De Niro scene with Harvey Keitel was the pimp and taxi driver. Yes. Uh, the conversation is as intense as it mm-hmm. was. That um, that started as a regular banter, and then it obviously escalates yes. to something more. Um, so when he goes, and I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to tell you now, we know Christopher Walken, and we know our Dennis Hopper. We talked Dennis Hopper with Blue Velvet, and I'm telling you right now, Dennis Hopper's performance as the father Clifford should have been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Um, the scene, the scene with him and Christopher Walken, is a master masterclass in acting and filmmaking. For me, that attention. For me, that scene, the famous Sicilian scene, um, with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, for me, is one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history. It is two Hollywood icons at this time. Yeah, and. All they do is have some words. We won't go into details, but everyone knows it. Everyone quotes it. I watched it, and obviously you got Christopher Walken who's kind of hamming it up. Right, but but, he, but, he but got, he's not but, overhamming it. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But you got Dennis Hopper, who his mannerisms as he's, you know, do you have a smoke? Yes. He knows this is his last drink. He knows he's doomed. He, he knows he's dead, so he's not going to tell him shit. Mm-hmm. And... What can I do to go out in style? And when he tells the story, the mirror, the you know, uh, yeah. And Christopher Walken's face, who's playing tongue in cheek, having a good laugh, he changes oh. because when Dennis Helper tells the climax of that story, Christopher Walken goes, "Oh, you fucker!" And, and there's a brilliant part where, where whenever he starts saying it, um, and Christopher Walken um, is shocked. And he goes, uh, your man has had the absolute gall to say this. And he, he goes, he goes, oh, come again. <laughs> this guy, this guy, this guy, you know what I mean? Uh, I love this guy. And he gives him a kiss. <laughs> I haven't killed anyone since 1984. <laughs> uh, and what, what I did like about you didn't see him graphically get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no. Because um, yeah. I didn't want to. It was, there was I thought that would have ruined it. Yeah, it would have ruined it. Mm-hmm. Um but I'll tell you right now, Dennis Hopper's known for a lot of roles, but Easy Rider and Blue Velvet are his two biggies, but this is by far. And it's a small, who cares? The best the best roles in films always go to the supporting actors. Of course. And these guys nail it. Nail it out of the park. It's the... Um, it, re, it reminded it's me... It reminded me of the scene in Pulp Fiction where Christopher Walken is talking... About the watch? To, to about the watch, yeah, it was just. I know it's a different outcome and a yeah. different kind of scenario, but it's a scene you remember. It's dead, Christopher Walken is an absolute master at deadpan dark comedy. Yeah, oh, it's. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying. Where Tony Scott, I don't. I know Tarantino said he stayed away from the filmmaking process. He let them do a thing, but there's no way Tony Scott and Tarantino didn't have conversations. Oh, if not, yeah, I'm because sure it's. It's yeah. I mean, this is, and I hope Tarantino took something from this too. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I would like Tarantino to learn something from Tony Scott. 
Um, the tension of that scene, you know, whenever, especially the first time you watch it. I mean, I, I've seen this film multiple times over the years. I always go back and revisit it every so often. Um, it, I mean, and I, I would, you know, you know, just to basically um, address the elephant in the room by today's standards, there's a lot of content of this scene that would be considered deeply offensive. But in the context of the characters and especially the Sicilians, um, you know, these mafia boys, uh, it it makes sense and uh, you know in in complete context it is not offensive no i mean i think pete when you watch a film in whole like this i mean tarantino styles like that as well i mean look i mean we'll get to him but yeah he does he's not pc no no never will be he won't sell out and he writes characters neither, the way characters would react and the, they would speak. He, he reacts at everyone, what everyone, anyone else would say in the room. Yeah. I don't care if they're a millennial. I don't care if they're me. I don't care what they are. By the end of the day, we all say something that we, you know, we shouldn't, but we do. He says, fuck it, I'm putting it on paper because we all do it. Because that's the way real characters speak. Exactly. Uh, and certainly in, the con- little... certainly in the context of, um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, we're not given any sort of evidence that Dennis Hopper's character is actually racist. However, he knows the he's going. He wants to go out with a bang, so he knows the correct way to give these like these really nasty. Oh yeah. Um, oh he, yeah. He basically has what to them would be the ultimate insult, and it's it's all about the, the performances and all and all as well. Uh, and it just comes together in such a tense, darkly comedic. And such a powerful way. One of the greatest yeah, scenes I mean, in cinematic history. He, he, no exaggeration. He wants, to get, he wants to give them the finger. Yes. And that's what he did. Because yeah. he knows he's going to die. And you, yeah, exactly. and you, and as you discussed, you, uh, we the audience know that he knows that he's going to die whenever he says, I'll actually take one of those Chesterfields after all. The cigarette. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. We're introduced to as they so they when they go to LA. <laughs> I like Michael Rappaport. Yeah, his character well, actor. I, I, like I am so happy that Dick survived because I I like them. He's just so naive and silly and but likable, you know. Yeah, you got the two Dick Ritchie and I. I'm going to assume Floyd survived. We really don't know, but I can't. Yeah, see them Floyd survived. Him. Yeah, yeah. Elliot got a bod. <laughs> yeah, but he was fucking. Uh, I was so weird seeing. That was the first time seeing Bronson Pinchot from outside of Perfect Strangers. <laughs> And uh, Axel Foley, Aquil, Aquil. One of the I was in stitch. I forgot about this line when I rewatched it for the podcast. I forgot about, it, but it's one of my favorite lines. It's whenever he's talking on the phone to Lee Donowitz, oh, yeah. and he goes, yeah. you, um, "He can't um, hear him correctly because you know on the mobile phone it's like the old sort of early nineties mobile phones." And he goes, um, "Something about, <laughs> something about, um, um, is is he a dick or something?" He goes, "You want me to suck his dick?" <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but it's, it's, like, I mean, I mean, oh. um, Elliot Blitzer is as an asshole of a character and such a pussy. Um, uh, but he's a brilliant character and it's brilliantly played. Um, this, this, yeah, this film e- is even, full of unforgettable characters. Yeah, I mean, even uh, Lee, the producer, oh, yeah. Sam Robinette. <laughs> He, he first you hate the guy he's just an arrogant prick but then you kind of like him <laughs> I love because we all because we all we all hate Elliot because he's such a noof <laughs> and yet now we like Lee because Lee doesn't like Elliot you little bastard you know oh my god I treat you like a fucking son you know <laughs> <laughs> he was so Shakespearean <laughs> <laughs> poor it, scoffing tra- over him <laughs> yeah it's oh. oh 
oh, this is uh, this is just to me. See, true romance. I know I'm sort of getting a bit ahead, but this is the the, the films like true romance and stuff are the reasons I love cinema and film. This is just pure entertainment in every fucking possible sort of aspect from start to finish. Now. Drexel was in bed with the mob, right? That's that's Watkins. Yes, team. he was a courier for the mob. Uh, Blue okay, Lou. so Blue Lou. and they found the wallet. That's how they know. Yes, Clarence. Basically, is involved, right? whenever he was at, whenever Clarence was at Drexel's, um, you know, to apparently pick up her stuff. Uh, basically, you know, the big heavy guy, he like they took his wallet off him, um, and but he forgot to fucking take it back whenever he escaped. You know, in the confusion yeah. and the panic and stuff. But I yeah. love Christopher Walken's line whenever he's saying to Dennis Hopper, he goes, "But your son." The dumb fuck, <laughs> and they're laughing at him. <laughs> dumb. But you know what's funny? I just said that before that even happened. Christopher Walken yeah. say that, but I even said it. They're naive. They're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. Call him a dumb fuck. He calls him fuckhead. That he is. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh god. So he's going to do errands. They're they're going to meet three p.m. at the hotel. Yes. And. Uh, for the drug, you know, he's just going to sell it. He tells them, they, he makes up a story, his cousin or somebody, or uncle, works for the police yeah. storage locker, and he still was the, he just wants to dump it. Yes, he's looking rid of it. Yeah. I, there's another, so many brilliant lines in this, where um, there's quite a tense scene where um, Lee Tonowitz is saying, so um, if you've no experience in this sort of thing, um, why did this guy give it to you? And Clarence goes, I bullshitted him. <laughs> and he goes, uh-huh. he goes well, brilliant, yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> so when Virgil, that's James Gandolfini's character, yes. goes to Floyd's, yes. <laughs> he goes, okay. He's very nice to him. He's like, okay. Because he knows he's uh, a fucking you idiot. Want, you want to come in or something? <laughs> he's like, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, do you know where they went? Blah, blah. They went to the hotel. You, you go left. Don't wait. You have to wait five minutes for him to tell them directions. That's right. No, but he tells them what hotel they're staying at. The uh, Safari or something? Yeah, the Safari Motel. And Virgil goes, you have a nice day now. He goes, okay, I might be back. He goes, all right. Don't you be condescending with me, man. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> That's right. It's like, what? Uh, so now we're in the, the controversial scene. Where Alabama and James Gandolfini have words. To me, that's not controversial, um, that scene, but yeah, I know. I know. It's not, but you get my yeah, point. Yeah. You know, a big guy beating up the hell out of a woman, and they show it. Sadly, shit like this does away. happen in the real world, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, it's played so beautifully by both actors, yes. and Patricia Arquette, especially, they know how to have a good laugh at this, mm-hmm. and they're having fun, and it shows. That you could almost the way her performance is very childlike, yes. but at the end of the day, she's doing that a because that's her character, but also the wink of the audience. Hey, we're having fun here. Mm-hmm. Just you know, it's not don't real. take it too seriously. It's, it, yeah, it's not real. Remember. And I know Gandolfini said it was a hard scene for him to shoot. Gandolfini is a fucking terrifying. He's probably one of the most. Um, you see that speech he gives. You know about. Um, um, the, he's, t- he's basically talking about the first time he kills someone. It's it, it's awful, but then he used it. Here he was. See now, I just I just fucking do it to see the fucking change in their expression. That's quite that's quite fucking sinister. Again, brilliant, yeah. brilliant writing. Very dark. And totally. And then sells the character as being a bad motherfucker. I like when the tables are turned, where she lift, lift, lifts the corkscrew. Yes. 
And he's, oh, you're going to give it to me, baby? You're going to give it to mm-hmm. me? And, he, you know, he's now he's just turned really creepy. Yeah. And she ends up stabbing him with, the, with uh, kind of, I guess you could say, delaying him. Through the foot? By stabbing him with the foot. And then just blows a fucking shotgun blast away. Uh, just a good death. Yeah. And to, for quite an, quite an ugly scene. And, but watching it again, it, it was a lot reminiscing of not as bad... Uh, but of the Clarence Drexel showdown. Yeah, yeah. And this is also Alabama's first kill. Yep. And it's very much, well, it's very frenzied after everything he's put her through. But the, the beatings he gives her in the bathroom and throwing her through sort of glass cabinets and stuff. Uh, all of her rage and anger just comes out and it's it's brutal. It's powerful. But there's also a payoff there for the audience, a catharsis, you know, and, and also well, a relief for the audience. Well, you can say the same thing about Clarence. When Clarence went the, after Drexel, yes, but the difference and when, is, uh, the difference is, well, Clar- Clar- I was going to come to this actually. As a character, he's not a very likable person. He's a bit of a dick, um, Clarence. Uh, whereas Alabama's more childlike and more naive and sort of innocent, wide-eyed. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really see that. Cl- Clarence is a dark uh, character. Um, uh, between the whole sort of delusions of you know chatting the Elvis, played by Val Kilmer. And, um, you know, the whole just, there's a very dark um, edge and it's not very likable as a part. I mean, I love the character, you know, it's brilliantly written, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, but if you knew Clarence in real life, you would, he would be a bit of a dick to you. The most likable characters here and the most sort of innocent characters are Alabama and Dick. Oh, Floyd? Uh, Flo- oh, well, Floyd as well, I suppose. But he's more of a... Yeah, um, <laughs> Floyd. yeah. Floyd's most innocent. Yeah, but but definitely Dick and Alabama. Where, where Floyd's just stoned all the time. I love where uh, Dick finally gets the part in the new T.J. Hooker. Oh, brilliant scene. <laughs> and that's the payoff for that character. That's his arc complete. It's just like... yeah, it's it's, And then he's going to say something, you know, how this is like... like they, to Clarence, how this has been just like... the the best time of his life or something, but he doesn't even need to say it. He goes, that's ah, all right, man. And the audience gets it. It's just brilliant, brilliant writing and emotional payoff and a character arc for a supporting character like Dick. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm glad he, he was able to get out he of that. He got the bit part become... and, he, and he's a shit actor too. See what I'm reaching the audition. You know? Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Hey man, get him off my get car. Him off. <laughs> New TJ <Get> Hooker. <laughs> oh God, did you get to meet Captain Kirk? <laughs> That's right. And the last 20 minutes is pretty much just the showdown. Oh, and it's par- and extremely powerful. Yeah, it was so good. Uh, and I actually a little bit felt sorry for Elliot for that one moment where you know Slater puts the gun to yeah, his head, I, I, I lo- and I was I thought that was a little coarse. So dude, leave him alone. Why are you doing that? I felt a little. I thought that he's was- weeping like a flipping a child, basically Elliot, and you do feel sorry for him. But I think he was just uh-huh. sussing him out, you know. Yeah, I suppose he knew he's, he's kind of a. Well, I don't know. I I felt when he started crying, you almost think like he should have gone too again, far. Was- he was going too far. Yeah, you almost think. Clarence should have caught on that he maybe he is another um, tense scene. Yeah, but it is. But he he should have really. Again, this goes back to show Clarence's how childly childlike he is and, and naive. Yeah, where technically, if he did that to him for whatever reason, he was he she should have came to the, to the conclusion that he was bugged. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would have came to that conclusion. They were all out of their depth. Exactly, and that's why he got away with yes. it. Yes. Yeah. What about the cops? So I love the cops. 
Oh, uh, yeah, you're talking about Cody and Carl, I yeah, think they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wherever he's um, just the they, fucking laughed at them. <laughs> Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore. But they play off each other brilliantly. Yeah, they were very good in it. And uh, you know what's funny? Uh, you've got the mob team, which is pretty much James Candolfini mm-hmm. and, and Christopher Walken. You've got Drexel for his little team. You've got the cops. you got Cody and Carl, which is Tom Sizemore, Chris Penn. Then you've got... His buddies, which are Floyd and Elliot. Then you got the uh, movie guys, yes. which would be probably Lee and Elliot. Yes. And his friends, Floyd and, and Dick. I know, and also so sort of you have these, these sort of henchmen. The heavies. Yeah, but, you, but no, but they, they don't even count. You, you have all these kind of just, yeah, you have these extras thrown yes. in. But the guys I mentioned are pretty much the, the heart and soul yeah. of each scene. And their dialogue and their casting especially – and how they play off each other is, you know, it, you you would think these guys were dating. You would think yeah. that James Gandolfini was a mob man. You would think, well, James Gandolfini became one <laughs> technically, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It it was it, it go it boils down to the one thing Tony Scott always always got right is casting. Yes. Um, even the small cameo because he worked with obviously Tony Scott and Top Gun with Val Kilmer, pretty much playing Clarence's alter ego. Yeah. The Stark say, um, is, "Yes, as Elvis, because mm-hmm. Elvis always told him, you do what you need to do. I like to, you got to like keep your yourself right. Always have, always will.' <laughs> but it sucked when Chris Penn got it by Alabama's hand. Yes, but that's just yeah. But that was just the attention of the room. She's not, she's not reading the room right. No, also she needs, also she needs to get out of there to get him out to get Clarence complete out confusion. Of there he got shot in the she face. thinks Clarence is dead, although he's just sort of you know started breathing again. Um, yeah, it was yeah. Um, it's, that Mexican standoff, you know, with the it's basically I think there's four sets, you know, of um, basically conflicting groups looking the cocaine and the money. Um, there's the cops, there's Clarence and his gang. Um, you know, Alabama and stuff. Then there's also three yeah. Donowitz's heavies. Then the mafia guys. Uh, it, well, no, the, the, the Dread Show's team would have been uh, the mafia yes. guys. So you have the mafia guys, the cops, and Lee's team. Yes, that's, that's who said. Yeah. The three. The no, three. but, but okay, don't forget yeah. Clarence and all as well. So they're the fourth. Oh, I suppose. I yeah, suppose. even though they're pretty useless. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, he gets shot right away, Clarence. Yeah. He just comes out of the bathroom and he gets shot in the eye straight away. Yeah, he's like, Elvis talking to Elvis, like, yeah, I, I like you, man. I have faith in you. And he walks out get shot. Yeah, there's brilliant touch in that scene in the bathroom, actually, where although basically Val Kilmer's Elvis is basically a ghost, he actually lifts the gun, Clarence's gun, up off, you know, the, the table and starts playing it with, with it a bit and stuff. And it's just, it's a, we, I love we touches like that, you know, because that shouldn't happen because he's a ghost, basically, you know, in his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that's the show that Clarence really believes that yeah. this this, this uh, imaginary mm-hmm. friend is real. Mm-hmm. So I think that was them letting the audience yeah. know how important and how much he takes in the advice of his imaginary friend, his alter ego. That shootout at the end is to me is one of the greatest I certainly I've ever seen. That was good. Yeah, and the, and everyone's fighting, and you know, bring- and the cops are fucked because the cops can't go up against fucking M sixteen. Yeah. And uh, Uzis, and the, even the guy, the one the henchman says that you're fucked. You can't guys go anywhere. That's right. You got to drop. Yeah, they've the heavy and artillery. All, all, and it takes Lee to throw the hot coffee on Elliot. Yes, for everything to go to off. Kick it off. He, yeah, <laughs> kills Lee for doing that. Just that scene where. Uh, but even I like that because uh, Chris Penn's character, the cop, when he sees Elliot, because Elliot, even though he's a fucking clueless idiot, yeah. 
he's a he's not a bad guy. No, no. He, he, so when he got the hot coffee thrown, which can't hurt. Yes, of course. The the cops cops coffee, you yeah. fucking better believe it would hurt. Like, 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 like the cops say, uh, okay, and they stick up for him. Yes, yeah. like you know, and the cop because the cops know they put him in this situation. They know he's an idiot, and it's it's kind of uh, yeah, and they sort of forced him into basically wearing the wire and setting it all up because they want to basically get Lee Donowitz and stuff. Uh, but they don't realize that the mafia and all is involved as well. Um, you know all these sort of hardcore Italians. Um, but yeah, I see. I just love that part where <laughs> Elliot goes to the cop and goes, "Officer, whatever you call him, goes, uh, can I go now?" And then Lee Donowitz it clicks with Lee Donowitz. He goes, "Wait a minute, how the fuck do you know his name? How the fuck does he know your name, you little?" bastard <laughs> yeah it's i mean once well yeah and it's funny because you thought lee would would you the way these films are usually written yeah you would think lee would be the one to knee on the ground and go oh, i'm so sorry mm-hmm. like he's all this big big badass producer yes. but once he's thrown into the mix like this he becomes a pussy yeah. but he's not he actually holds his ground becomes the opposite he does, yeah he's like you mother once he found out he was betrayed yes. that's when he you know yeah. you don't betray him and then you know <laughs> yeah Oh my god, I love squibs. Still, I always say fucking CGI. I hate yeah, it. No, I want I agree. my squibs. I agree. Want my squibs? These this gun. Sh- I mean, everyone got to come up. Oh, uh, I call. Fuck you, man. You gotta call me an ambulance. Yeah, I'll call you. I'll call you a a, uh, a body bag. Yeah, I'll, I'll call you a hearse. This is for Cody. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone gets it apart from Dick Clarence in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. But Clarence yep. was meant to die in the original script, wasn't he? Yes, that's what I want to talk yes. about because Tarantino says this one thing he wanted was Clarence to die. Yes. I am telling you right now, I actually agree. Should be I? I felt her being on the beach pregnant or has a little kid, little Clarence Jr. Yes. Elvis. That would have been yeah. perfect because you kind of mentioned it a little bit. You kind of put the nail on the coffin when you said Clarence is kind of a dick. Yes. So he put her in this situation. He put a lot of his friends in the situations. He's done his father in this situation. So at the end of the day, maybe he did, he did deserve to yeah. get it. Uh, yes, I, I totally agree. It would have been uh, more of a payoff and more of a sort of um, basically an emotional and powerful ending if Clarence did die. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I, I, think I absolutely love this film. I think it's brilliant and pure entertainment. One of the best films of the 1990s. But it could have been just that little teeny, teeny bit better, you know, if Clarence had it died. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He should have. He sh- one of them should have got it. Yeah, or even worse. I think I think it would have she- been too much for Alabama to get it for the audience. I mean, I, 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 I don't think you could have killed Alabama just because of the beating she just took. She was too likable. Yeah. Yeah, and, she, and the beating she just and took. And innocent, and like, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm so happy Dick survived. <laughs> Yeah, I love Dick. <laughs> and his, and his oh, shit oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there you are. That's it. That's all I got. But I'll tell you what. Um, oh, my God. We, we didn't talk about We talked about John Wayne, Chris Isaac, Hans Zimmer. The, the score and the, the soundtrack in this is fucking amazing. It's not- you guys just want to relax. Listen to Hans Zimmer. And he's, he uses uh, the xylophone and the marambas. Yeah. It's beautiful and hypnotic. I would say it is heavily be inspired by a piece of classical music. I can't just re- um, remember the name of it. Um, you know, the name just escapes me. 
but it is his take on a uh, you know the you're so cool theme you know dun, 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 yeah that yeah. it is uh, it's almost identical to a piece of classical music however um you know obviously you know legally he's spot on you know from a copyright point of view but you know but at the end of the day it 100 percent works for this film and is it makes the film even more memorable what one of the many things you remember about this film the, the score yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to tony scott's work like i mentioned in the beginning casting editing score always and and his direct and his, uh, his dp are always spot on uh just what a fast pace two hours and it just flies by it's, and there's not a lot. There's not a lot of action in see this. See stuff like this. It's, this is I, you know. See when I was watching this for the podcast, I was saying to myself with well, a bit of sadness. Here I was. You don't get films like this anymore. This is just wall to wall, sort of balls out entertainment from start to finish, and it's just it's this is this films like this is the reason that I love films as a whole because it's just so much fun, so entertaining, edgy, um, tense, everything. It's just it's a roller coaster ride. Pun intended, because I know there's a, the roller coaster scene where Elliot <laughs> is sick. Brilliant, yeah. love it. Well, that's even that scene. Talk about Tony Scott's direction. Um, obviously, Clarence is trying to tell him about the product as they're taking the roller coaster ride, but we can see that Elliot's getting sick. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the way he shot that, the audience, especially in the theater, would get nauseated yeah. too. Because he was quick cuts and you're up and down and you're moving the camera, shaking the camera around, almost to put the audience in Elliot's shoes, yeah. uh, which was kind of nice. And then the next scene, he's got vomit all <laughs> over him. Right. That's when he's on um, the phone. He goes, he, he takes the phone and says, "Goes, you want me to suck his dick?" <laughs> I, I laugh out loud every time. <laughs> all right, we're gonna conclude this one here, guys. Um, obviously, going into this, we all knew. I mean, everyone loves this film. Yeah. I don't know anybody who doesn't like this. A one. roller coaster uh, ride of like entertainment from start to finish. So part two, we'll be jumping on uh, for Reservoir Dogs um, uh, to see where what he did with his his, his income with the uh, True Romance Script Fund. So and see if Reservoir Dogs certainly holds up. I know that's a stupid comment because we all know it does, mm-hmm. but I haven't watched it in years, so maybe I. Might, I haven't seen uh, it in a few years myself. So there you go. That'll be coming up next. Uh, listen, guys, uh, thanks a lot for joining us as usual. We have a new website being developed as we speak. Uh, we had a teaser up there, but I took it down because I want to get it completed before we put it uh, back up. Yeah. Um, it's going to be pretty much our go-to hub now for now on. Yes, we have obviously on Facebook. You can contact us there on Citizen Frame. And, of course, Citizen Frame underscore podcast on Instagram. Now, those are all going to be linked with the pod, with the um, website, as well as we're going to have movie news, facts that are coming out, you know, gossip. It's going to have a calendar of all of our releases of what we're putting out. We're going to slowly, hopefully, get some merchandise going. We're going to have some contests on there to bring you guys more involved with our little, uh, you know, yep. society. No, I don't want to say society. What we, our, what cult, we say. our cult. Our cult. <laughs> cult. Our doomsday cult. The, our cult. That's always yeah. nice. And also, just on the, on the theme of merchandise, I think it will be great for um, people, you know, listeners to the podcast to be walking about their daily day-to-day lives with um, T-shirts with our faces emblazoned on them. <laughs> well, that's the good news. It won't have our faces. No, that's horror. <laughs> no, 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 no. We won't be doing that. We're not, we'll be having, you know, Mikey, our mic. Our, it's the worst, worst mascot ever. <laughs> it's a microphone called Mikey. <laughs> 
So that's I like my that's uh, <laughs> just <laughs> boy, we're pathetic. <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, Phantasmagoria, that's not out yet. Is that uh, correct? Uh, the next uh, um, regular issue will be out at the end of the month, and there's some big treats in store there as well. They are big treats. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. I'm wrapping this one up. Have a good one.